This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. On today's Breakfast Grill, I'm in conversation with Dylan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea, one of the leading tea companies in the world from Sri Lanka. A very good morning to you, sir. How are you keeping? Good morning. I'm brilliant. All the better for being here. Thank you. Well, thank you for being in the studio. But many, I just want to ask you straight away about the crisis happening in Sri Lanka because many say really that Dilma represents the best of Sri Lanka, a global brand, a family business that tries to transcend generations, world-class tea plantations, social entrepreneurship embedded across the business, leadership in sustainability. So do you think the crisis that the country is engulfed in right now represents the worst of Sri Lanka? It does, but it also represents the future of Sri Lanka because we have a legacy that is unfortunate since independence, populist policies that have brought us to a point where you have uh, um, insolvency, essentially. Mm. But the people have drawn a line in the sand and essentially expressed very clearly to our future leaders that there is no tolerance of either incompetence. Enough is enough. Absolutely. Neither corruption, neither incompetence or poor management. Uh, But the people are suffering. But here is a point from which we can only grow. So as you say, right, a line is being being drawn now. We've seen the PM resign, also news that he's actually flown off to Singapore. We're beginning to see the reopening of fuel lines. Is this the light at the end of the tunnel? It is because... uh, Now, with greater credibility with a a people's government, not a government that is thrust upon the people and which uh, clearly there was simmering discontent, you have a situation where we can begin to rebuild, rebuild knowing that we have leaders who um, actually empathize, understand the situation and leaders who are on watch because the watch is not going to change. They will Mm be monitored. And uh, I think that's that's the line that has been drawn, which is very important for our future. A key accountability that I think you demand, I think corporate leaders all around Sri Lanka demand, but a key accountability you have is also your profit and loss. I mean, 2021, 2020 financials look relatively healthy, 20% PAT margin, 30% return on equity, 13% return on capital employed. I have to say 2020 is going to look very different, right? Actually, not because globally, um, you have tea is a tea is a product that uh, is not affected significantly by recession. It's an affordable luxury, mm. and for us, we have um, a very strong philosophy. My father set out to have a business that would serve humanity with kindness to people and nature, and this is something we take very seriously because if you focus on doing things right, the profits will follow. So for us, it's not about commoditization. It's not about um, making profits in market, but it's about offering a quality product, offering a product that also has sustainability embedded. So we're involved in climate change, we're involved in agroforestry, we are involved in um, gender issues in Sri Lanka, our child care centers for children with with, uh, Down syndrome, with cerebral palsy. We've got thousand different. Yeah, you have so many actions and initiatives across the board. I mean, I mean, there's such a big intent to make a difference in wherever you operate in your society and communities. But from a financial standpoint, what does 2022 look like? Are you going to see better revenues? Is the margins going to be held at 20%? The biggest challenge 
would probably be global logistics. Mm. So really not a lot to do with Sri Lanka. Yes, we have devaluation, but uh, we are a dollar-denominated business. Um, so that, um, I guess, is a, is a blessing in a sense. But we also have a huge social overhead. We need to be able to support, I think, something like 10,000 families every month because those are the workers at uh, on our tea gardens and so on. And they need food aid. They need uh, emergency assistance, medical medicines, etc. So, yes, costs have gone up. Um, and quite honestly, it is for a time such as this that businesses build up reserves and yep. we have done well. Um, and I, I would say that purely um, if you look at the sequence of events, we have a perfect storm. We had the Easter bombings. We had uh, the pandemic. And the role of business, not only for us, but role of every business has changed fundamentally. So today, the option of, uh, you know, CSR is not one uh, th that you can take lightly. And in fact, it should not even be CSR. There is a irrevocable obligation to do good, not only for your workers, but also for the wider community. Because today, when you see a fuel line, what do you do? Do you look the other way? No, you have to get involved. So whether you're a business or whether you're a social enterprise or government or an individual, Everybody is getting involved in Sri Lanka, and that's the spirit that we are seeing. And they will all that is all well and good, but there will be some short-term costs, right? Short-term investments to sort this all out in the short term, right? There will be massive investments. I mean, at this point, we are called upon to fund medicines for government hospitals, uh, mm. to, to fund training, to entrepreneurship development. All these are new costs, but the fact is that they is an obligation. I mean, you can't have a business that operates in isolation that says that, look... Uh, Problems have affected the people, but uh, we're okay. No, that is absolutely not. As a business, we're doing okay. The tea industry is doing okay because it has to do okay. The country needs foreign exchange. So that obligation is upon us, but also to serve the community. So a key part of your business, as you said just now, the big challenge you have is logistics. As you say, right, inventory days up 40% from 57 days to 81 days in 2021. That's even before the fuel crisis that you're going through now. It must be super hard for you to get tea to the ports. Um, it's not too difficult because we are able to, as, as a dollar business, we're able to access the fuel we need. But what is challenging more than uh, getting fuel to the ports is getting fuel from our ports yes. internationally because costs have gone up ridiculously. And unfortunately, it's an unsustainable increase. There is, we are seeing price gouging from a lot of uh, international uh, shipping companies. Unreasonable. How you know. ridiculous is it? It's three times increased, you know, mm. at the point. And of course, you can see that reflected in their balance sheets and which really I think is, is quite unethical because at the bottom line, there is the there are the producers who are really struggling. And I have seen producers put out of business completely. I mm. mean, in the coconut industry, in, in uh, less so in tea, but in other industries. But you have no choice, isn't it? Because these are, these are people that are holding you by the neck. A necessary evil, unfortunately. So then with, with, with this issue about rising costs, margins under pressure, are creditors and suppliers demanding stricter payment schedules? Because payables day did go up by 30%, 33% from 24 days to 32 days. Right? How are you managing the tight creditors that are coming through now? Well, fortunately, we have been managed conservatively. That was an important principle of my father. So we don't have an issue in that regard. We've always, um, we, we haven't leveraged the business to the extent that uh, it's, it's fashionable to do today. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a huge issue. The increase in costs, yes, that's, that's something we, we really struggle with. But as, as for the future, I believe that uh, this situation will correct itself. Yes, the shipping companies are making what, I don't know, hundreds of billions of, of dollars. But once that changes, you're going to see a fundamental and huge impact, not only on food inflation, but also on the, the viability of entrepreneurs like us. 
I mean, with rising costs, is it easy to pass the cost on to the consumer? Since, as you say, right, your tea is a certain amount of commodity. There's been a volatility in the price, but you have put a lot of effort to rebrand and upsize the product. Can you pass the cost over to the consumer? For us, it's particularly difficult because for a lot of manufacturers, you can simply diversify your sources. You can say, okay, look, mm. let, let me buy a cheaper tea or whatever. But for us, my father made a very clear commitment. It has to be the finest pure Ceylon tea. So we have to wear the cost. And no, it's not possible to pass it on. You can put in 4% out of 15%, but you simply have to be more innovative, more creative, come up with new formats. We are, we are coming up with, for example, iced tea. We're launching an iced tea today here in Malaysia. We've taken it around the world. We are taking uh, elixir of Ceylon tea, tea for cocktails, mocktails, etc. So innovation, that's what's going to drive the change. And early on, you were saying that, you know, for, for your business, it's very much a dollar-denominated business. I want to come back to the point that the Sri Lankan rupee really is on a free fall. You talk about 180 to 200 rupees to the dollar in early 2021. Now you're close to 360 rupees. There is no impact whatsoever to the business. Does that really affect your ability to invest in the business then? It does because, uh, you know, we, we, we've got our reserves built up, of course, in, in mm. uh, rupees that were denominated at 185 and so on. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a challenging time and we have to look at everything differently. And that's what we're doing. We're trying not to focus on the negatives, trying to focus on what can be and looking to the fact that, yes, we can translate this devaluation into a positive by uh, um, trying to, you know, trying to focus more on higher value added uh, products and so on. And that's, uh, that's why I'm here. How do you prioritize investments then going forward? When you look at the situation you're in, it's a relatively tight, volatile situation. Where are the investments going to be prioritized in the next three to five years then for yourself? Well, you know, um, infrastructure has to be improved. So if you look at machinery, we have to go with the state of the art. We've just completed an investment of, uh, I think, almost uh, uh, $15 million in a new factory, new facility, end of line, etc. Because quality control, you can never compromise. So no matter what, for the viability of our business, and we have to look beyond the present, you have to look to the future. If you focus too much on the present, I guess you would say, look, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to be like mm. a deer in the headlights. No, absolutely yeah. not. We are looking beyond and we are preparing to come out stronger because if you don't, then uh, you're going to come out a lot weaker. So how do you look at the portfolio? What are the things that are interesting in the next five years? What kind of investments are very interesting for you then? Well, you know, where tea is concerned, the uh, sensitivity to health, wellness, to natural products. And tea at its core is natural. It's uh, influenced by terroir. It's hand-picked. It's uh, the process, not not artificially processed uh, leaf. It's, it's, it's natural in a very, very sincere way. And so for us, it's going more into the heart of our business, investing in, in better extraction technologies to try to have a better iced tea, to have a better um, tea for mixology, better uh, chais and so on. So that's where we are investing. I mean, of course, there's the rest of it. But if you look at the global financial markets, um, you know, it's uh, anybody's guess. But no, for us, it's uh, a focus on the core of our business and the people in our business. On The Breakfast Grill, I'm in conversation with Dylan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea. After the break, his move towards sustainability. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 
Welcome back on The Breakfast Grill. I'm in conversation with Dylan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea, as we understand how they're navigating the current political and economic crisis in Sri Lanka. You know, sir, let's just go straight to your product portfolio. 3,000 products, over 100 markets and 848 supply chain partners. Do you think this calls for prioritization and focus? <laughs> it does. But, you know, um, tea consumption or tea preferences, they are so varied. You have uh, here in Malaysia, you love your tetarek, you love mm. your milky sweet tea. But imagine in Japan, we have uh, somebody, you know, typical consumer would want a light, bright Norelia tea. You go to the Middle East, you, you Saudi Arabia, they want a thick, strong tea. Um, you know, so preferences are varied. And for us as a family business, we don't want to make a generic offering. We want to try to be as personal as possible with our customers. So yes, it's a, it's a crazy it situation. It is hard. It's hard it to is. prioritize because, you know, I remember, I remember your story. You started exporting tea in Russia first and then Australia. These palettes are so different, right? How do you understand differing consumer palettes? I think it's uh, the simple way. My father taught me, go to the market, meet customers, talk to them, understand what they do. Um, you know, you can sit behind a computer and you can uh, look at your research, but you're never going to get as good research as uh, talking to you and finding out yeah. how do you like your tea. Yes, yes, that's very true. And I think the biggest issue here is when you look at the whole global space, where are the white spaces for you that you have not yet pursued? Where are the markets or even the products that you feel perhaps I should do much more in? Well, it's the U.S. The U.S. is a difficult market to get into because there's been so much commoditization of tea. So for a business that maintains a standard and cannot compromise on quality, it's a challenge. You've got tea that is selling as, well, they call it belly wash because it's so cheap. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that Gen Zers and millennials are changing that discussion. So earlier, okay, after the 2008 financial crisis, there was EDLP, discount culture, but they're drawing a line like our protesters drawing a line and saying, hey, look, you know, we want tea that is good for us, that is healthy, that has authenticity. And that is where we really excel. My, my, my father refused to compromise on any of these things. And now I can see the wisdom. I must say, I, I argued with him occasionally and said, come on, you know, we're not, we're not doing anything here. We're nothing in certain territories. But that's changing and that's fantastic. And it's driven by younger new tea drinkers who are saying, look, tell us a story. You know, what are you guys doing? What are you doing for your staff? What are you doing for the environment? Why is this tea tasting light? Why is this uh, woody and robust? And why is this earthy and malty and so on? Do you think the next generation is just interested in the behind-the-scenes story or are they more interested in the complexity of tea? Because tea is super complex, right? What are they more intrigued by? That the product has got so it's so versatile or that the story you sell at Dilma is so interesting and relevant to them? I think for the next generation, it's not any one factor, but it's a multitude. So you have to tick the boxes across authenticity across uh, ethics and sustainability, mm. you've got to tick the boxes on taste. So for us, our business essentially is you can summarize it as a commitment to taste, to natural goodness and ethical purpose. And I think those are really the core of what we're seeing. Now, this 10 years ago, we would get kicked out of um, many retail meetings and so on and say, look, you guys are too expensive, you know, change your model. I've had even two weeks ago, I had a buyer and I said, look, you know, this is it. We can't change. We can, this is what we do. I said, no, you know, go and buy cheaper tea and give me something, but give me my 50% off. And we said, look, I'm sorry, we're out. But you have to walk away. We have to walk away. In many situations you have to, but if you 
begin to compromise, then you lose your identity. And quite apart from your own uh, self, uh, your own dignity, the younger generations are very perceptive. If mm. they see you in some corner of the world doing silly <laughs> things, they're going to know very quickly. Yeah, they can smell a rat anywhere. Absolutely. You know, but you talk about perceptive. I think the classic person in your life that's been very perceptive is your father, Meryl J. Fernando. And, no doubt about and it. And I, I just was so intrigued that perhaps he was one of the first corporate celebrities we had. I've never ever seen someone in the 1970s be willing to put their name to the brand and go out and be advertising. This is even pre-Steve Jobs. Why did he have that foresight that he had to put himself out to promote the brand? Well, it was very simple. There were, there were two reasons. I mean, the first thing is that in 1950, when uh, he saw what was happening in the tea industry, and at that time, we produced beautiful tea as we do now, but uh, the tea was being taken to London, it was being blended, and even at until the 1980s, most of our tea was taken to London for a London auction. So mm. clearly, this was a colonial economic system that was persisting post-colonization, uh, or post-independence, rather. So uh, he saw that for the country to develop, for the industry to develop, for sustainability, for, for to help the workers and so on, we needed a fairer share of our income, of our revenue from the, from the product. And so you had to start a Sri Lankan brand. So that was his critical motivation to be an and I think an ambassador. You know, well, yeah, but also to be able to to you know his his purpose was strong. So he committed himself. It was not about making money. It was about doing something for a country and doing something for the two million people who depend on tea for their livelihood. So it was much stronger than simply saying, look, let me start a business that will make me more money. And, you know, we are blessed to be a part of that because that philosophy is what drives the business today. It's what encourages our, our, our team. You don't shy away from the identity of being Sri Lankan, right? Even though with all these things happening, you still feel very invested in the country that you're in simply because of all the plantations and the assets you have here. The plantations, the people, um, that that was my father's philosophy. And yes, I mean, we have to weather a few storms. We had a conflict uh, that uh, went on until the, you know, 2008-9. We have the present situation, but uh, we have to continue to champion the best of Sri Lanka. Mm. And your father named Dilhan after you and your brother? Dilma, Dilma after, after Dilhan and Malik. Dilhan and Malik. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm very sorry about that. And Malik actually runs the hotel business. He does. Yes, he does. and I've, I have gone to the website. Beautiful hotels all across the around Sri Lanka, probably ravaged by the pandemic, also not helped now by the crisis, right? How are the hotels doing? What's the positioning for these hotels? Because they are super luxury. They are. They're all really and chateau properties. They are super luxury. They're very quiet at the moment, but lots of Sri Lankans have, have uh, patronized the properties, helping us. And also we're getting quite a few tourists beginning to come in mm. and who are now emboldened by the fact that there has been change. And of course, now we have uh, certain developments today and uh, we're hoping that happens. But I, 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 I didn't finish answering your earlier question, why my father chose to champion the brand. Well, you know, he told me, uh, or he tells anyone who asks, um, he simply couldn't afford a celebrity. He couldn't <laughs> afford an agency to do his brand name. So he put the names of his two sons together. And, you know, that it's really as simple as that. I see. And I think he's inducted also your children as well in future brand videos from what I've seen as well. Absolutely. My son has joined. I hope my brother's daughter will join, but uh, many more in the wings. So what's the portfolio like? I mean, when you look at it, you started off with tea. You've also gone into hotels. There's even some uh, entry into herbs, even condiments. Right. What's the portfolio for Dilma in five, ten years' time? Dilma is a, 
a business that started with a natural herbal beverage in tea, which has expanded into spices, so cinnamon, etc. But all within that same area of Sri Lankan artisanal produce. But ho- uh, hotels began actually with tea tourism, with Ceylon tea trails, mm-hmm. and then it extended because we had to create a certain network or a, a trail around Sri Lanka. Um, and for the future, it will continue to be that because Sri Lanka has some incredible um, natural herbs and spices, cinnamon, particularly Ceylon cinnamon, which is its uh, unique identity. And um, I think that's where we see it going. Of course, there'll be a little play into solar energy, into renewables and so on, but that's part of our ethical philosophy. But going forward, do you see yourself getting into retail? Because many of your competitors have tried to go retail. Would retail be an option for you to expand the tea business? Well, we have... Uh, our tea lounges. Yes. We have uh, Brew 1867, which serves, so it's in different parts of the world. Um, but it's, it's, it's a completely different area of business. It's not our forte. We are tea people, so mm. we need to stick to what we know. Um, yeah, we will have more and more lounges. We will have uh, mobile concepts that will present tea in, in different forms. There's an incredible amount of potential in tea but it's not in the typical hot cup you know you raise your pinky and you <laughs> this is this is great yes. but it's traditional but it's also tr- the iced tea the sparkling teas the tea sodas tea tonics this is the kind of stuff that we're working on because that's where consumers are, are, are taking us healthy natural and authentic and i think those are the three words that would characterize the directions we are going in whether it's tea spices or tea tourism And presumably the pandemic has taught many valuable lessons in how you engage the consumer and customer. Perhaps you were not affected so much, but I did see a big play to e-commerce. What's the strategy going forward to get e-commerce to play a larger part of the distribution so that you don't rely on the middlemen or retailers? I think that's a no-brainer. I mean, of course, e-commerce still constitutes a very small part of our business, I think Mm. really not even 2%. But the fact is that the writing is on the wall. And I would say in five years' time, it would probably be more like 25%. And the fact is that it also works well with consumer expectations. They want authenticity. So there's nothing more authentic than being able to buy direct from the plantation. So something like uh, uh, within 15 days, the tea that is picked, perfected, and packed at source is directly with you this kind of thing works and the, the you know the fact is that tea is an affordable luxury even the finest teas you're talking about what uh, four or five dollars for a cup an equivalent in a cup i'm talking about per bag so it's not a it's not a huge investment you know even the finest yeah. loose leaf teas that's that's a kind of spend your what you would typically spend for a coffee in a, in a cafe. And so, you know, when you talk about this being an affordable luxury, I presume like the staples we understand versus perhaps the more premium selections you have, right? They will drive much higher margins, the premium selections. Like how much more margins are you seeing for the more premium kind of positioned teas? Well, you see typically... Um, you would see for the fine teas, you would see 30 40% uh, margins. But the fact is that um, relative to the global market, that is, uh, and if you look at the global beverage market for the consumer, that's really not a lot in terms of the fact that uh, a cup of fine tea might set mm. you back, what, uh, $15, $15 or maybe $20 for a pot. Relative to other beverages that have similar proposition, um, it's really not a lot. This is why I call it an affordable luxury. On this special extended breakfast grill, I'm in discussion with Dylan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea, after the 8.30 news bulletin, building a business that transcends generations. BFM 89.9. You are listening to the BFM Breakfast Grill 
Brought to you by U-Mobile. BFM 89.9, welcome to this special Extended Breakfast Grill with Dilhan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilmati, as he helps us chart how Dilmati is navigating from the pandemic to one another crisis in Sri Lanka. You know, Dilhan, you have earlier said in the conversation that the conflict in Sri Lanka seems justified, that it was a necessary pain for us to basically clear the line, draw the line in the sand and move forward. Absolutely. We had uh, a combination of uh, a regime that uh, didn't understand the aspirations of the people, nor the circumstances, the economic and the social circumstances, plus a very challenging um, situation we had since 2019, a perfect storm of uh, uh, the Easter bombings, the pandemic. Uh, so tourism, our key um, foreign exchange revenue generators were, were, were all affected. And so, yeah, something had to be done, but they weren't doing anything. So at a certain point, the people decided they had to take a stand. Enough was enough. And I think there were also many missteps in policies, one being that switch to organic fertilizer, right? That, that was, was tragic. That yes. was tragic, right? There was intended a 20 to 30% increase in price. Clearly didn't happen uh, with the reduction in yield, 20% reduction as you shifted to organic. That was devastating for the business. It could never have happened. And in fact, this is something that we explained to the task force at the time, but were ignored simply because the size of the market is such and the ability of consumers to absorb an increase. Uh, you know, organic is great. People talk about organic a lot. But the fact is, if you then go and say, OK, look, Ceylon tea across the board is going to be 20% more expensive from tomorrow, that doesn't work because that, that isn't the size of the market. The market is, what, 5% or less. And you have so many examples of failed organic uh, transitions. And at the same time, Switzerland took a vote and they quite intelligently decided that uh, this was not a sustainable thing. So we took the plunge. It was the wrong decision and we had to unfortunately face the consequences. Yeah, you have to pay the consequences. But I guess the challenge is that this transition to organic, this intention to move to organic was intended as part of a broader sustainability push, wasn't it? Does this kind of show that sustainability isn't really sustainable in the short term? Well, you know, sustainability is critical. It is essential and, and there's no negotiation there. But the fact is that sustainability doesn't mean organic. It also means it means prudent use of the right inputs. It means that you do not subsidize agrochemicals. You price them so that uh, there is prudent mm. use. It means that you use your state, your, the research and other um, infrastructure. I mean, whether, whether you go to, to J Japan for they have such pure teas there, the sencha and so on, and they do use glyphosate because there are certain agrochemicals that are tested and found acceptable. So within um, what you would consider to be safe, there is a requirement because if you go completely organic and you increase your cost with reduced yields, you end up with a situation where the product isn't sustainable. Yes, you can do it for 5% and, and we do it. We use agroforestry, we use uh, do have organic and so on, but that would constitute less than 5% of our total business simply because there isn't a market. So you would immediately put millions of, of uh, tea plantation workers into poverty yeah. and that's pretty much what happened. So I hope I mean, I think that's one policy which was flawed. But I think going forward, as you see uh, the dust hopefully settle over in Sri Lanka, I think the reality is that the Sri Lankan government really needs to show its public finances. And there'll be a lot of pressure on corporates, companies like yourselves to, I think, shoulder more responsibility there. Are you ready for more taxes? Absolutely. I think there was a, a foolish move to reduce corporate tax. But the fact is that every business uh, and our relationship with the community has changed. We have to 
shoulder the, the cost because beyond this cost is an opportunity. And if we don't take that opportunity, Sri Lanka is going to have a very difficult time. We've had a situation where this regime that has just been ousted invested in showpiece projects that uh, we have airports that uh, don't have uh, flights, we have ports that don't have ships. It's a, it's a crazy situation. But with the with this demonstration that the youth of Sri Lanka have made, uh, they've taught us all a valuable lesson that uh, we will not tolerate or they will not tolerate. And now we're all together in this. But this will be painful for you, isn't it, more taxes? It will stop your ability to make necessary investments into, the, into your business and into the country as well. Every problem has a solution, I believe. And uh, yes, the taxes are necessary because there is a social overhead. We are part of a community and the community is suffering mm. if we don't uh, participate in that. And the fact is that as a business, we really have a unique ability to say, look, how are we going to deal with this problem? What is the solution? And the solution is diversification, it's innovation, it's looking at food production. I mean, we are doing things that we never dreamed of. In the last six months, we've been adapting to to growing cassava, to, to doing cassava flour, to yeah. looking at uh, new products. I mean, we were talking about polytunnels a moment ago, and we, we've been looking at intensive agriculture. We've been looking at uh, hydroponics, uh, experimenting with solar and renewable energies. We need to, as businesses, use the network and the resources we have to be able to address the needs of the people. I mean, a, a solar tuk-tuk is something that we are uh, exploring at the moment. And these are critical requirements. It's outside. You know, we're a tea company. Um, you know, we, we, don't, we have no place doing this kind of thing. But right now, we have to because that's what it's going to take. You have to. And I think you can make differences in the areas of sphere of your influence. And that's why you have the Dilma Conservation and the MGF Charitable Foundation. What are the biggest priorities there in terms of making an impact in your community there? You know, where the foundation is concerned, my father's story is is very simple. And we seek to echo that. It is a story of an ordinary Sri Lankan from a lower middle class home who came from a village and who had a great dream, but who persevered with faith, with dedication, and he achieved something. When I go back to my father's home, and I do that annually, just to remind myself where he came from, his house is, uh, you know, about the size of this uh, studio. And it was a very lower middle class home. And, um, you know, from that, he, he really demonstrates that with faith, with commitment, with dedication, and really with a purpose in mind, a purpose that is greater than profit, you can achieve. And for us now, the foundation is about replicating that, finding um, families of, of uh, fishermen, finding the wives of uh, war widows, or rather the war widows, the wives of people whose, whose lives were lost in the conflict. And we have set up communities. We are seeing incredible capability. It takes very little mm. to unlock potential, whether it is a group of war widows, whether it is uh, um, children with Down syndrome, cerebral palsy. It's just a, an ability to see what can be rather than focusing on what can't be. And I can tell you, we have uh, recently graduated uh, a wonderful uh, group of ladies, Down syndrome uh, uh, youth, who are now chefs. They're working in chocolate making, pastry, and so on. Just a question of understanding what they can do. So if I listen to you, and clearly your father is an icon, he energizes you, he really gives you and instills that values to you. What kind of values do you want to instill to your children as a potential next successes for your businesses? 
Again, it's very simple. And yes, my father energizes me um, without the influence that his mother had on him, without the influence that my father has on me. Um, uh, neither would our business be successful, nor would we be able to sit here and, and talk about these wonderful things. But the thing is, um, you know, for my children, it's very simple. Um, one is, remember that whatever you do, there must be a purpose. It is not about profit. If you focus on your purpose, focus on 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 your core objective, and it should be about quality and integrity more than, uh, more than anything, the profit will come, the commercial aspects will come, but focus on doing what is right. But also the second thing, which is something that which is rarely associated with business, is the fact that humility. And I think humility is something that we all underestimate because at this point, we need to unlearn a lot of things mm. that we took for granted. You know, there was this image of big corporates being highly successful. No, we are not. We are, there's nothing special about being a corporate. There is an obligation to serve. There is an obligation to understand the challenges of the people and an obligation to integrate in order to to really not to be a parasite, to support and to be synergistic with your community. It's really as simple as that. And Dylan, as we come to a close, um, your favorite tagline is, do try it. If there was one tea product I must try, what must it be? Well, I would recommend good water, Perfect brewing, three minutes, don't forget. And good water means put it through a, a filter so that you take out any of the minerals and so on. But I would recommend our Ceylon breakfast tea, and I'm going to send you some so you can try it. Thank you. Actually, I had that for breakfast this morning. <laughs> well, Dylan, thank you for spending your time with us on the Breakfast Grill. It's been Dylan C. Fernando, the CEO of Dilma Tea, as we understand how they have navigated through these very difficult times. I'm Philip C., BFM 89.9. The Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile, where unlimited potential begins. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.